can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Rudy, and this is the Talking Pools podcast, and I am here with my co-host. Uh, that would be me. I am Andrea Nanini, and we are uh, we appreciate you tuning in. We do. We have a question this week from Andrew Johnstone of Mirage Pool Services. Andrea, you know who Andrew is. He's in a lot of the groups with us. And I'm just going to jump right into it. Andrew asks, hey, Rudy. I have a pool with an IntelliChem system I do weekly maintenance on. Since I added boric acid to the pool, the ORP ratings are higher with lower chlorine levels. I asked a few people about this to see if anyone knew why this was happening, but nobody seemed to have a real answer. I'm enjoying the podcast, and I've been sharing it with my pool group. Maybe this is something we can cover on a show. So I guess the real question here is, why is the ORP high with only a 0.7 part per million free chlorine reading. Well, Andrew, your timing is impeccable because we are going to talk about borates and boric acid in this podcast episode today. We know that oxidation reduction potential, ORP, it measures the oxidizing properties of any sanitizer present in the water. So when the chlorine is free to oxidize, the sensors generate a millivolt reading. And if the chlorine's not free, it does not. So, But it's important to remember that it measures the potential of the water's ability to oxidize, and therefore it's dependent, it's dependent on a lot of different things. It's very dependent upon pH, and then we have things that we would call reductants, things that would lower the ORP, which would make you have to use a higher level of chlorine. One of the advantages of borates, borate, a borate buffer system does not give negative ORPs, at least not as much as a bicarbonate buffer system. So that's part one of this two-part answer. Uh, So a borate buffer system, it's not working against you like bicarbonate buffer system does. Your reductants are going to be things like cyanuric acid, combined chlorine, and then contaminants. And this is where the boric acid addition comes in. Obviously, it's not going to help as much with cyanuric acid um, or combined chlorine. But by adding boric acid, today we're going to talk about it as a buffer, you know, to help prevent an upward drift in pH. But last week when we were speaking about boric acid, we spoke specifically about using the product as an algistat. So that's where this ties in. And this is what you're experiencing. By adding boric acid, what happens is algae and plants, they need a certain amount of boron. So they take this stuff in. And when they take it in, it actually inhibits photosynthesis, similar to what you see when we add copper, because algae also needs copper. So in inhibiting photosynthesis, it can't produce the sugars that it needs. So it starves to death and dies. When it dies, the filter filters it out. The truth of the matter is, Andrew, you just happen to have less contaminants in your water because you're a pool care badass 
added to his protocol of care, boric acid. You got to keep in mind, algae spores are microscopic. We can't see these things, right? So just because we can't see it, it doesn't mean that it's not there. That's the whole purpose of the algostat, right? It prevents things from getting established. So the spores that get in there, the boric acid knocks it on its ass, takes it out of there in filtration, and you have less contaminants in your water because of it. Boric acid doesn't just affect algae. It's a microbial, it has bactericidal properties, it also prevents fungus from reproducing. So there's a lot of things in the water that you took out by making that boric acid decision. And again, contaminants are reductants, so that's how this is affecting your ORP. So this is a testament to you and your awesome uh, pool care skills, your water chemistry skills. Uh, you just have a really clean pool, bud. And that's, you know, the great job that you're doing. And, you know, probably a little bit your decision to use uh, borates in that body of water. So kudos there. For anybody else that wants to ask a question, please reach out and send us an email. We are at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, it's talkingpools at gmail.com. We would love to hear your questions or, you know, whatever you want to say, and we'll get you up on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Again, we appreciate you, bud. Okay. So last week, uh, you know, we spoke about uh, ways to stretch the chlorine that you have, ways to stretch your chlorine supply. Yes. Make your right? chlorine last. So, we did. And one of the things that we spoke about was borates. Correct? Yes, borates. <laughs> and in that, we were talking about borates property as an algostat, but we also mentioned the fact that the main reason we use it is to prevent the pH from drifting upward. Right. So this week, I wanted, I wanted to see if, if you were up for this. I want to take it the next step further because not only is there a chlorine shortage going on in the industry. There is also an acid shortage, right? So one of the ways that we can cut back or reduce the need for the acid that we use is to establish a buffering system in our pools. Um, yeah. So like you mean with pH and total alkalinity, how the alkalinity is a buffer for the uh, downward drift of pH, correct? Yes. Is this something that you employ out in your pools? Um, yeah, I now? do not. Um, if I have a pH that's like on the low side, say 7.4, I know 7.4 is not, that's the ideal range. But if I show up and it's already a 7.4, my first thing that I do is I check the alkalinity, especially before I add any more acid um, because I could have... Which is good. Yeah, I could have um, not an inaccurate reading, but I guess... I could be having a pH bounce issue, and that is the reason that we use or that we buffer, I guess. I don't know. I kind of went off on a little. No, you're absolutely correct. If the total alkalinity is too low, you're, you'll see pH bounce, which means there's not a lot there to hold it in place. So things that should only affect the pH a little bit end up affecting it drastically. So it shifts all over the place. So we want to make sure that that's in good shape. And you're correct. As far as the order of application goes in making adjustments to water chemistry, total alkalinity is always first on the list. Yeah. That's the first thing you yes. adjust, yeah. right? So... Our goal here in this talk right now, because there is an acid shortage, we want to talk about setting up a bicarbonate borate buffer system. By doing this, we can essentially, I'm going to say essentially because it's not exactly, but we can essentially lock the pH in place. 
get it to where we need it to be, and have it stay there by establishing a good total alkalinity as well as a borate level. This would be cool. Uh, this would be good for salt pools because um, you constantly have a high pH in salt pools. So getting that to stay at a lower level would definitely help you save on the acid. You're absolutely correct. And wouldn't that be fantastic if when you went to a salt water pool and tested the pH, it was good yeah. instead of off the chart? Yeah, high? I, it's very rare uh, that I go to a salt pool and it's below a 7.6. And actually, if it is, then I sus suspect some kind of problem like such as a low alkalinity um, because foul play or that. Yeah. Or some or somebody <laughs> uh, put a put a put a bomb in my pool or something. No bombs in the pool. So, all right. <laughs> or so, too many, or too many tabs. <laughs> there it is. She just popped. Yeah, you heard one. it. All right. So, all right. Total alkalinity buffers against the downward drift. We just spoke about that. That is the first thing that you adjust in your order of application. What should the total alkalinity be? Where would we like to see that? What do you think? Uh, so, you know, the ideal range is eighty to one twenty. Ideally, you'd want it at ninety parts per million. 90 parts per million. So in an ideal range of 80 to 100 parts per million, you're saying smack dab center, 90 parts per million is what we shoot I mean, for. that makes the most sense. No, I agree with you. That's that's where I would want it also. So sodium bicarbonate is the chemical that we use to increase the total alkalinity in a pool when the total alkalinity is low. And the dose on that, what's the dose on that? Um, uh, that would be 1.4 pounds for um, in 10,000 gallons. To give you 10, 10 parts, parts per million. million. That's absolutely yes. correct. So you can use it. You can use it. Uh, sorry. You can use any bicarb, any sodium bicarb that you find available anywhere. It's it's the same stuff. So the secret is out. Yes, that's true. But that's okay I've because you know what? Arm We're fine Hammer with that. some spas before. I've used Arm mm -hmm. & Hammer a lot. So wherever you can get it, wherever you can get the best price, but just, you know, like we always say, make sure to shop local. And I like to say right? check the ingredients just in case, just so that you're not getting something extra that you don't need. I don't think people put fillers and stuff like that in bicarb, but you never know. Don't accidentally case. add baking powder. There you go. If you add baking powder, <laughs> we will laugh You'll at you. You'll have a fluffy Ooh. pool. <laughs> 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 All right. Right. So no matter how many gallons you have. So if you take 1.4 and multiply it by the gallons that you have divided by 10,000, of course, so like 20,000 would actually be two. So 1.4 pounds times two times the number of times you need to bring it up 10. Yes. That would give me the dose I need to get there. And if we need to lower the total alkalinity, what chemical do we use there? For that, you would Are use you using muriatic acid. Muriatic acid? What if you're out of muriatic acid? Uh, well, you can use sulfuric acid, but I, you can't use that in salt pools. So if you don't have muriatic acid, you could either use sulfuric acid or you could use so sodium bisulfate. That's correct? right. The dry acid. I always forget about that because just dry yeah, acid. It's not. And the dose on that 10 pounds of dry acid is equal to one gallon of muriatic acid. 10 pounds. So 10 okay, pounds. Wow. So it's expensive. Yeah. You'd have to use a lot of it in a nice size pool. If you have a small pool or a spa or something like that, in a spa, you're probably already using it. But yeah, 10 pounds of dry acid is equal to one gallon of muriatic acid. So it does take a lot more of this product. And good to, know. to your point, you cannot add sulfuric acid to salt pools 
or or, or the sodium, sodium bisulfate. Yeah. Nope, you can't. Every <laughs> every salt cell manufacturer actually has it in their um, instructions in their care for salt cell guide that a high level of sulfates will shorten the life of that salt cell. So we do want us to try to veer away from any sulfate containing products, uh, copper sulfate, aluminum sulfate, uh, sodium bisulfate, sulfuric acid, any of those things. We really just don't want to use those in a salt water pool for those reasons, because we want to get as much life out of that salt cell. So if it has the word sulfate in it, we can't use it or we shouldn't use it. We'll go with we shouldn't. See, the problem here is, is there's probably an okay level of sulfates that we can have in a saltwater pool. It's just none of the manufacturers have actually put that number out. So we don't know what it is. We can test for sulfates. We just don't know what that number is. The only other concern with sulfates we have is on stonework. At a level of 300 parts per million or greater, sulfates can damage stonework around a pool. Oh, okay. So, so if we're using it, we should also test for sulfates and watch for that number. And if we have a saltwater pool, being nobody will tell us what the number is, it's probably best just not to use them at all. That makes sense. I don't like using it okay. anyway. I feel like it doesn't, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I feel like it's just not, it didn't do the same job that it did because I had to buy some. I, I was not able to purchase muriatic acid for a while. Uh, so I bought a case of it and I just, I don't know. It, maybe it's just me, like not liking different things. Everybody <laughs> has, everybody has their preferences. I'll tell you, one of the major benefits of it though, that I saw was that on a cold morning, when you broadcast your dose of sulfuric acid, you don't get that vicious smoke cloud that follows you around the uh-huh. pool like some type of alien predator. Yeah. Do you know the strongest smelling sea salt and vinegar odor? Am I right? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty, um, tough to noxious. Yeah. To walk through and the dead bunnies trick doesn't work. What the dead bunnies? What are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, I assume you've been camping before. Once or twice. So have you ever had the cloud of smoke from the fire follow you? No. Um, Well, that happens to me. Like a spirit, like a spirit. No, it's just the wind. I guess pushes the cloud, uh, the p- pushes the smoke column right into your face. You've never had that happen. I'm sure you have. Oh, you mean just have smoke blowing? Yeah, your just face like you're- versus having it follow you around for hours afterwards. No, not like a smoke monster. No, no, no. I'm talking about just sitting around, <laughs> just sitting monster. around the campfire. You know, whatever. Everybody's chilling. Somebody is, you know, some probably making s'mores or whatever and the smoke from the fire will blow at you the whole point is if the smoke starts following you which it does happen apparently not to you so the smoke's following you all right this probably is gonna get you the trick to get it to stop is to say dead bunnies a couple of times don't ask me why because that totally doesn't sound like it's something to do with haunted fires. I don't know if the fire's haunted. But anyway, that's the trick. If you're camping and the smoke is coming at you and it won't leave you alone and you get up and you move over, because I've done that too, you get up and you move over, the smoke blows at you again. You say dead bunnies a bunch of times and the smoke will leave you alone. This is proven. And you don't think this is ghostly? I don't know. 
I never thought about it. That being the smoke ghostly. from the fire just happens to follow you around. And then when you say dead bunnies, it stops. <laughs> it could be ghostly. I don't know. It sounds kind of scary to me. It works. What kind of drugs were you doing at this fire? <laughs> I, I mean, don't, how much? I don't do drugs. What were you putting on those s'mores? <laughs> they were the good s'mores. <laughs> I bet they were. So speaking of acid, let's get back to that conversation. Oh, nice segue. It would be it would be wrong if we didn't also mention CO2, carbon dioxide. A lot of large facilities utilize carbon dioxide for pH control. You don't really see it in backyard pools. You don't really see it in the smaller commercial pools. But again, at these large aquatic facilities, that's what these are designed for. At least it's the perfect place for it. So the way this works is it injects CO2 into the water. The CO2, the carbon dioxide, then forms carbonic acid. Carbonic acid is H2C. CO3. The carbonic acid then dissociates, giving up a hydrogen ion. We know that pH is the measurement of hydrogen activity measured in the converse, right? So it's backwards. The lower the pH, the greater the hydrogen activity. The higher the pH, the lower the hydrogen activity. So when carbonic acid dissociates and gives up that hydrogen ion, it's contributing to the hydrogen ion activity in the water, which lowers the pH. But like we said, it also gives up now HCO3. That's bicarbonate, and bicarbonate increases the total alkalinity. So CO2 injection is actually the only means of lowering pH that will result in an increase in total alkalinity, which will put us at a point once again where we have to add acid, but this this time to lower the total alkalinity to get that back into balance because we know that total alkalinity is the measurement of all carbonates, hydroxides, and bicarbonates. The beauty of this, or at least the bright side of this, is, is it won't be as frequent as the acid additions that we're making for pH, and it won't take as much product. Okay. CO2 injections, sodium bisulfate, sulfuric acid, those are other options that you have. What about when you run out of those? What do you do if what do you do if you can't find sodium bisulfate, muriatic acid or sulfuric acid? There's just no acid around. What are some alternative things you can use to lower your total alkalinity or lower your pH, right? Because acid when you add it to the water, it's going to lower both. So what do you think some alternatives would be? Um, I am going to guess here and I'm going to, I'm going to guess vinegar. You can use oh, vinegar. Wow. That's cool. true. But, but to make it cost effective, you're going to need something that's fairly pure. I was going to ask, so does, does vinegar would, come in a percentage? Cause now I'm now <laughs> a percentage, a strength percentage of does, vinegar. Well, it actually, it actually does. What you want to look for is something that's at least 45% acetic acid. Okay, cool. That's going to be your best value. So what you're going to be looking at is about, now this is not going to make anybody happy, but it's an alternative. What you're going to be looking at is about $19.99 for a gallon. And you're going to end up using more of it because one, and it's like one and a quarter gallons of this glacial 45% acetic vinegar is going to be equal to a gallon of muriatic acid. So it is something that we can use, but it should be like a last, last resort because it's going to be expensive. Is that like a food grade or is that some kind of weird commercial grade? No, right now we're talking purely industrial grade acetic acid. Asking like you're not going to find this at Walmart. 
Um, you know, you, you might, you never know. It's industrial. So that's what you'll be looking for there. And again, you're going to spend about 20 bucks on a gallon. And then just keep in mind about a one and a quarter gallons of that stuff is equal to a gallon of muriatic acid. So I know what a gallon of muriatic acid costs you what? Like what nine now? bucks, I think. Like $9, right? So we're looking at it uh, twice the cost and Unless, you're going to have to use a little bit yeah, more of it. A lot weaker. Yeah. It might actually be, it might actually work out cheaper though than sodium bisulfate, depending on what that 10 pounds costs. I don't know. I haven't bought any in a long time. I'd actually have to take a look and do a comparison, <laughs> but it might be in that yeah, range. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm not a fan of dumping, I'm not a fan of dumping vinegar in the pool. Um, but it is something that we could definitely use for that just to get the level to where we need it to be and then go with our buffer system. So we have sodium bicarbonate at 90 parts per million, right? Yep. You know what else helps to prevent the pH from drifting downward? Um, cyanuric acid? Yeah, oh. absolutely. And we talked about that last week when we were talking about making our chlorine last longer, that we wanted to maintain a cyanuric acid level between 30 to 50 parts per million. So at 30 parts per million, that works just fine. There's enough of it there to keep the pH to help to keep the pH from drifting downward. So that's two things we have on that side to keep it from traveling lower. The reason we want to keep the stabilizer between 30 and 50, um, obviously you're going to hold a, a chlorine level. It's going to prevent the sun from degrading the chlorine and also um, too high of a level and will make your chlorine less effective. True. Absolutely. In fact, you know what's funny? I was listening to something earlier today and someone was talking about, I forget who it was, someone was talking about this chlorine shortage. And one of the things they suggested as a way to um, make the chlorine last longer was to actually raise the cyanuric acid level higher. Hello? Yes. Would you please kindly stop the madness? Seriously, why would you tell anybody to do that? I'm, well, here's the thing, right? We talk about cyanuric acid and how it slows down how chlorine works. And we know that we want to keep our chlorine levels 7.5% of whatever our cyanuric acid level is. So at 30 parts per million of cyanuric acid, what we spoke about, there's actually there's some uh, pretty good research on this that has been uh, done by... Uh, Kay Williams and Cyanuric's benefactor or bomb is actually what, what his research was titled. <laughs> but um, if at 30 parts per million, what this guy found out was is that the state that cyanuric acid was 98% effective in keeping chlorine in the water at 30 parts per million. At 30 parts per million? You follow yeah. me? At 30 parts per million. But seven and a half percent of 30 is 2.25. So two and a quarter, 2.25 parts per million of chlorine is what you need at a 30 part per million cyanuric acid level. Cyanuric acid's ability to keep chlorine in the water at 50 parts per million of cyanuric acid is 99%. But at 60 parts per million, you have to keep a 4.5 part per million chlorine level in your water to be at that 7.5%. And all you really gain over 30 parts per million of cyanuric acid is 1%. That's it. Just 1%. So in actuality, you have to use more chlorine if you bump the cyanuric acid up. 
And the reason it's staying in the water longer is because it's not working as well. That's what it comes down to. So it's absurd. So we got that. So we have cyanuric acid at 30 parts per million. We have our total alkalinity at 90 parts per million. That takes care of the downward drift, right? So that helps to keep the pH from moving downward. Borates, that's our answer to helping it prevent an upward drift. I have not had the opportunity to get my hands on borates, but I have wanted to just for the reason, just because um, I had, let's see, uh, let's say 98% of my route at one point was salt pools. So I went through a lot of acid. So it would have been nice. Uh, maybe I could have saved some for myself. Well, there's a lot of benefits there, especially with a salt water pool, because you know that those salt cells sometimes reverse polarity. And when they do that, they'll kick out a white powder onto oh, the floor. That's the calcium carbonate that's actually coating the inside of the cell. But the solution to keeping that from happening is maintaining a proper pH. Maintain your pH at 7.5. You're not going to see that happen. We've mm -hmm. also run into issues, right, where there's been magnesium hydroxide in the water. And then that precipitates out almost like in a kind of paste-like consistency I, snow i would call it, i call it snow i actually snow. made a snowball well, you actually out of it, yeah <laughs> i saw that you did you scooped it up and you kind of balled it all yeah. up like a snowball it was, so that's another it was thing. dense enough to hold together so it was that was pretty cool <laughs> and this but the solution there is the same thing i, I had better to, do a better job maintaining ph i had to turn off the salt cell for about a week in order to get in, to, in order to finally get that uh, snow globe effect to calm down, I actually did. I turned off the cell and then I made sure I got the pH down to, I think I got it down to like 7.5 and then I turned it back on and it seemed to be okay. So. But you had a... But you had to shut off the cell because you're not there every day. Correct. That's what it came down mm -hmm. to. If you were there every day adding acid on a daily or basis she had to keep that pH correct. pH. Yes. We spoke about that last week for liquid chlorine. You can get automation from muriatic acid as well. Either one of those would have kept it in balance and prevented that from happening. But neither one of those are going to enable you to use less acid like we're talking about Correct. now. So or in order chlorine. to use less acid, in order to use less acid, that means that we're going to need to be in a position where we're not having to lower the pH as much. Right. And so that's... And if we keep the pH in balance... We're not going to need to lower it and we'll be good to go. And that's where borates can help. So just like total alkalinity prevents a downward drift, borates prevent an upward drift. So if you can establish a borate level of 50 parts per million, you're going to need a test kit for this. So make sure everything, again, we always say it, everything you put into that water that a test kit exists for, you should own that test kit. It's 50 right? parts per million, the max level? For borates, yes. Okay. We don't want it higher than 50. It does its best job between 30 and 50 parts per million. But we want it at 50 to get and, the maximum effectiveness out of it. And there are strips for it or is it a reagent test? You can use test strips or, or reagent uh, tests, from what I understand, are super, super expensive. Okay. So I would personally just get the test strips. As long as you're testing for it, I'm happy. Gotcha. Total alkalinity, we want it 90. Cyanuric acid, we want it 30. And we, with that, we will be essentially locking it in place. It doesn't mean it's not going to move, 
right? Correct. In your saltwater pools, next time you come back, it will be a little bit higher, but it should still be in range. So that way it gives you a chance to adjust it. It's a lot better than it being super high to the point where your chlorine's not as effective. Or you're getting snow. If you're not the, using cyanuric acid. Yeah, or, or, or you're getting the snow from the salt pools. We don't want any snow in the bottom of the pool. That doesn't make your customers happy. It's sure as heck not going to make you happy no. if it's your pool. So we don't want that to occur anywhere. So that's the best way to set it up. So we have to use as little acid as possible, establish a bicarbonate buffering system, establish the borate buffering system, and the pH will stay in the middle. It'll make it much, much tougher for the pH to move. Like I said, it'll still move but it's going to take a heck of a lot more effort to make it happen. So something like aeration. Yeah. So if you have like a bunch of uh, water features and you have, say, somebody uh, has a deck jet that they point straight up into the air so that you get all kinds of water raining down into this pool, will that help against that? Or is aeration kind of out of that whole mix? No, actually, that's going to be in there as well. I mean, it's still a struggle. It really depends on the amount of turbulence that aeration causes because we know turbulence will cause the aqueous carbon dioxide and solution to outgas. And when that happens, it's going to result in an increase in pH. So if we establish a borate level in there, it will slow that okay. down. It's not going to stop it completely. Right. If you let it go long enough, eventually it will be high. If you already, so it is a good thing to use. So if you already have a, and this is me just thinking off the top of my head, so feel free to not like leave this in or whatever. But um, if you have already a borate level of, say, you're at your max at 50, and you have a pool that has super high pH, um, you wouldn't. Obviously, you wouldn't want to raise the borate levels. So you, what would you do then? Just turn off the... Absolutely. You are dead on. In fact, that's a great thing to bring up because we know that turbulence is going to cause the pH to go up. So if you have fountains, if you have a grotto, if you have any water features and things along those lines, if you can go without them, this would be a great year to go without them. That extra turbulence is going to drive the pH up, which is going to cause you to need more acid. And like I said, even if you have a borate level in there, the longer it goes on, it still eventually could get high. The same thing holds true for your return jets. I know a lot of times we like to aim the return jets toward the surface so we can all see the water move, but that's also creating turbulence and that turbulence is going to drive your pH upward, which is going to cause you to need more acid. So absolutely great point, Andrea. Thank you for bringing that up. Don't cause turbulence. Borates, it takes a lot of chemical to get that level in your pool. Okay. So we want to hit 50 parts per million. There's two different ways we can get there. We can use either borax or boric acid. Either one is fine. Borax is like 20 mule team borax that you find in the supermarket. I use it in my laundry. Or boric acid. <laughs> there you go. So it's, a, it's also a laundry additive. Mm -hmm. Or boric acid, you can actually get that as well. If you're going to go with borax, you're going to need 37 pounds of it for every 10,000 gallons of water to take you from zero to 50 parts per 37 million. 37 pounds. 37 pounds. That's a huge pounds, dose. Yeah. The other... So, yeah, so you're going to need a lot of boxes of borax to do that. The other thing that's going to happen is borax is going to drive both your pH and total alkalinity through the roof. 
it's going to be super high and it's going to require a lot of acid to get that total alkalinity back into check. The problem with that is it's also going to cause your pH to plummet. So what you're going to find is that after you adjust your total alkalinity, having dosed with borax, now you're going to need to bring your pH back up, but we want to do it in a way that it doesn't affect the total alkalinity. So we might want to look at turbulence here, creating a little bit of aeration. You can do this by simply loosening the collar of one of your return jets and aiming it toward the surface and allowing that to bring the pH back up. Because like we mentioned before, that causes the aqueous carbon dioxide in solution to outgas. When that happens, the pH increases. And this is the only means of increasing pH that does not affect the total alkalinity. So we do this just until the pH is back in check. And then from there, we're good to go. An easier way to go is with boric acid. Boric acid, your dose is only going to be 23.75 pounds per 10,000 gallons. Okay, gotcha. And it's not going to affect the pH or the total alkalinity. Oh, really? One and done. Yeah. The other cool thing about establishing a borate level, no matter which way you go, no matter which way you go, it's going to stay in the water. So it's kind of like cyanuric acid. You're not going to have to add to this again unless you replace okay. water. Some, it can be through backwashing, bather, drag out, splash out, if your pool has yeah. a leak or if you actually physically drain water. Otherwise, I would expect to just have to top it off every now and then. Just tweak it okay. because of what you lose due to backwashing. But otherwise, it just stays there. So that's kind of cool. That is cool. I, think I hear it is. too that um, people so, that use it say they're, you know, the same thing with salt. People say that their hair and skin and stuff feels better. Is that a thing with borates? It's supposed to feel a lot better on your eyes. Okay. It does give the water a crisper, clearer look. I mean, if you can picture how the Caribbean yeah. looks, that crisp, clear Caribbean look, you'll get that from it. So it does help with those things as well. And like we mentioned last week, it's also an algistat. So the secret to using less acid is chemistry. Establish a borate bicarbonate buffering system where you have your total alkalinity at 90 parts per million, a cyanuric acid level of 30 parts per million, and a borate level of 50 parts per million, and you will use less acid. So imagine if you were riding a bicycle down the road and the street was flat. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy, right? But then all of a sudden you come upon a hill. Now it's a lot harder for you to go the same distance, isn't yes, it? Yes, much harder. It's kind so kind of like that, but not really. It's actually nothing like a bicycle <laughs> at all because we're talking about buffering systems. But it makes sense. But there is extra effort. There's extra effort required in getting from one point to the next. And that's what these things actually cause to happen. If you really, really want to know more about this and you want to get deep into the chemistry behind how this bicarbonate borate buffering system works, check out my algae prevention and eradication specialist certification program on poolclass.teachable.com because I take it next level deep into the reasons why or how establishing these levels is able to keep your pH in place. It's able to keep your pH in that acceptable range between 7.2 and 7.8 and make it harder for it to get out. 
And of course, I talk about a lot of other things dealing with preventing algae, which again, algae is tougher to kill than bacteria. So the methods I talk about will help to keep the bacteria levels low. And that also ties in to a year with a chlorine shortage where that could be helpful or check out my book, like I told you last week on amazon.com. It's called how to get rid of swimming pool algae. And those things will both, um, have a lot of good information in there for you that I think will be very helpful in, in helping us get through this year and probably a little bit into next year. So a lot of acid saving tips in this one for sure. What else do you got on your mind for this week, Andrea? What do you want to tell? Is there anything else that you want to tell folks about before we go? Well, um, I just wanted to tell everybody about the turtle I got out of this pool yesterday. You got a turtle yesterday? Yeah. It was in a DE tank at one of my commercials. Um, I did in one of the surge pits. Yeah, I posted the live. Well, I did a live when I first found him. So if you go in talking pools, you can watch the video of me catching him. Uh, so yeah, I opened up the, and we, uh, this is, this pool has a major leak. We've been having some major, major, major problems with it. Um, I, the pool was built in like 1996. So like right after I moved here, um, it, it needs to be resurfaced. The grout's cracked. Like it's just ridiculous. So I open the tank, I open the surge tank, and the first thing I see is this little, uh, I think it's some kind of slider. I want to say red eared red. Oh, like a red eared yeah, slider? Yeah, red eared slider, okay. I think he was. And um, how did he get in there? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I imagine that he found his way into the backpack because I think they're vented. You know, they have. Um, on the yeah, sides. Yeah, they have vents on the sides. And usually some of them will have like. I, I want to say chicken wire, but not chicken wire, you know, like a fence, little grate kind of thing to prevent like rats and stuff like that. Uh, this right. one is broken. <laughs> so it's just kind of. Oh, yeah, okay. So, so he I, just had easy, easy access. I think so, but the, uh, the interesting thing is he had to have climbed over because it's not just like an open pit. There's like a raised up lip. I'm using my hands so that Rudy can see me, but <laughs> people listening. I thought it was because you were Italian. <laughs> well, that there's that too. Um, so yeah, there's a look, there's like a, <laughs> a lip, like it's raised up on the inside. It's not just like a gaping hole in the ground. So you would have had to have climbed up. Like I'm guessing some of the plumbing or you somehow made it up over and then down into the tank. Um, and actually when I first opened it, he had, a beetle riding on his back, but I didn't get that in the video. <laughs> he had a beetle riding on his yes. back. That is, but you got him I out. Did. I had, um, I have a tool that I use uh, that has actually saved my life a bunch of times. I freaking love this thing. And I recommend it to anybody, but we won't talk about that yet. Um, anyway, I use, it's like, it's just a little tiny net that fits in. It's meant to go in skimmer pots. And I was able to catch him. And uh, I think he freaked out and just kind of, plopped inside of his shell because you can see when oh, I pull no. him out, he doesn't really do anything. So then I just walked him around the fence and let him go. He seemed okay. Since the pool is leaking, it had zero chlorine. So Hashtag animal rescue. Right. Also turtle club. Hashtag turtle club. <laughs> turtle <laughs> yes. club. All right. That's a, that's a story for a different episode. So why don't you take us out of this one? Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Pools. Uh, you can find us on all the social media that there is in the world. And make sure you give us a like, a follow, a subscribe, a nice review. You can also 
find us in the Facebook groups. You can leave us comments, suggestions, stuff like that. Rudy likes to uh, read questions and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know what it is, is because, oh, Oh, my, you hear that? Right. So, you know what it is, is because I do want this to be the people's show. Yes. Basically, I don't want it to be just, you know, about you and I, if people have questions and like everything that we've talked about in almost every episode comes from something that someone's asked. And I want to get those questions answered and I want it to be their show and I want them to be a part of it. And realistically, that's the best way to do it. So we have talkingpools at gmail.com. Okay. Send me your questions, send me your thoughts. And again, if you have something for me specifically, if you have something for Andrea specifically, send it. I will make sure that she gets it. We'll address it um, in the show and get you taken care of. And your question could be a question a lot of other people have on their minds. So I'm sure they they want to hear the answers to that as well. So anyway, like Andrea said, I'm Rudy Stankowitz. And I'm Andrea. I guess, Andrea, <laughs> you didn't say that at all, <laughs> no, did I you? Didn't. So I said, she didn't say I said, that. Follow us on social media. So like I said, like I said, talking pools everywhere. And right. he's Rudy. How about now? He's Rudy. <laughs> And she's Yay. Andrea. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. And we're we're out of here. We'll see you next All week. Right, awesome. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 